One, welcome on into episode six of the Weekenders podcast with myself, Mitch Spinell. And I'm Sean Fitzgerald. And we're coming to you once again on a Saturday, because uh, that's where all of our audio-only uh, podcasts air on Saturday. And then we put them onto YouTube on Sunday on the new Weekenders uh, channel on YouTube. I'm getting that uh, plug out of the way early. How you been, Sean? I've been okay. Indians won last night, and I am just trying to get ready probably later today to go down to the ballpark, although I am keeping an eye on that weather. It seems there's a little bit of scattered thunderstorms, like 30 and 40% chances at last check. Storms potentially tonight. It was uh, pretty, you know, not like cloudy through most of the day, but it was just a normal day out here, a little humid. That's why we work indoors this time of year. It's nice. Everything's about to get muggy and humid, and it's awful for people like myself. It's just no yeah, and it looks more and more like the rain is getting pushed back into like nine o'clock now. It used to cover like six to nine or whatever earlier this morning. Now it's just at like nine o'clock. So I guess <laughs> no rain out. <laughs> real, real quick, I'm looking at this uh, weather thing here on my weather app on my phone. Do you ever get to see those things where it's like the air quality in, in your area? It's no, like- and that's actually something that I noticed when I was driving back home last night is that uh, there was a warning of an air quality from uh, midnight last night yeah. to midnight uh, tomorrow at 12 a.m. on Sunday. I mean, you're talking like, we're, hold on. We're, like, we're, 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 I didn't think we were in California, one. Well, we are, no, yeah. we are people who work in a downtown area, at least I do, that uh, is populated by garbage and pigeons. So I can see, if I were to see air quality uh, not safe for human uh, uh, condition in Cleveland, I would think to myself, yep. I That's mean, it. I did do an air quality kind of story uh, for Mitch McKenney's class. If you guys don't know me and Mitch went to Kent State together, we both had Professor Mitch McKenney uh, for a course uh, related to COVID and uh, kind of like air pollution, air quality, stuff like that. And it was actually that. interesting uh, that I wrote up. It was just like on, uh, I think we used the public reporting policy classes, uh, WordPress sites, so that way our uh, graphics that we had to make for that story with data. Uh, were interactive and not just like plain and static. So, <laughs> sure. It's funny that you bring it up, and I can't remember that. It's I actually mean, on my uh, portfolio website's uh, reporting page. I mean, the quality in uh, Cleveland is fine now. It wasn't a few days ago, but you know what's been of high quality so far, Sean? Mm, this tell me this Cleveland Browns football team that we've been hearing about for the last few weeks of training camp. I know we haven't started the season yet. We haven't even started the preseason yet. The three game preseason that's starting next Saturday in Jacksonville. But uh, we're seeing we're hearing a lot of good things. Obviously, we got our guys down there and uh, they're seeing what looks to be hopefully an even better Browns team than the one from last year. And I'm hearing a lot of stuff about uh, particular players. I mean, we're hearing Potentially that we might have a wide receiver three, and I know I'm going to start off the show with a surprising name here, but wide receiver three potentially could be Donovan Peoples-Jones, the second-year sixth-round pick out of Michigan. Doesn't shock me at all. I mean, you saw that he had talent in Urban Meyer, especially his comments way back when on you know Peoples-Jones being the one that got away for his recruiting at Ohio State. I mean... People's Jones, you could see the flashes last year, and he dropped to the sixth round. That could be a bargain steal, depending on what he does this year. And who knows? Maybe that enables you to have some leverage over Landry or Beckham if you need to restructure contracts and whatnot. I'm not saying you're going to cut them. I love Landry. I think you're going to keep him no matter what, especially with the value he brings to the team in that locker room. And Beckham, if he performs you know, to prime Beckham standards, you're going to keep him. But having uh, Peoples-Jones would mean Higgins probably won't be back after this season, and there's still, you know, room for growth. You got Anthony Schwartz you can use in a Percy Harvin-type role. I mean, there's so many possibilities in that wide receiver room. We are loaded there more than people think. It's very interesting to see a guy that I had seen come from deep off the bench last year when some of the Browns were starting to hurt. But he had had some very impressive moments, obviously, uh, the Baker Mayfield touchdown pass or catch at the end of the game in in the uh, corner of the end zone to win the Cincinnati game in Cincinnati. I'm looking at the numbers here. I was kind of surprised, taken aback a bit, because especially his last year at Michigan, where, by the way, I I constantly heard his name from the lips of uh, Gus Johnson, who, by the way, we mentioned uh, during our conversation this week, is going to be doing some NFL games here this season uh, for Fox. Um, I, I remember hearing him always emphasize Donovan, Peoples, 
Jones when he would bring up, uh, I think it was during the Ohio State-Michigan game of 2019? Had to have been Probably, 2019. Probably, yeah, 2019. Had to be 2019. Which was a great game uh, for us. And I remember just thinking to myself, like, okay, you know, this guy is capable. He kind of reminded me of, like, what Mario Manningham, but not quite as a standout. Remember Mario Manningham from Michigan? Yeah, I do a little bit. I I remember was it Daryl who said that someone from the uh, stand shouted, "That's what we thought we were getting from Raylan Edwards." Yeah, caught a Super Bowl uh, in the uh, when a uh, big pass in the Super Bowl. Uh, but I looked at his numbers here. Peoples Jones, three seasons at Michigan, he caught 103 uh, balls, uh, uh, just over 1,300 yards, 14 touchdowns. Those are fine, but that would probably leave you as like wide receiver three or wide receiver two maybe on a, a college team. Yeah, that's – I mean, those aren't great statistics, not by any means. You ever wonder, I wonder what that is sometimes because the NFL does not seem like a league where if you do not perform extraordinarily well at a college level, then you – it doesn't seem like you will be able to translate to the professional league. But in a case like this, we might have – the potential for a guy uh, uh, making the jump from, you know, decent college player to potential uh, uh, star in the making. And granted, this is sep- this is 16 games and 17 games into a career. This could go south very fast, depending on what happens throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, it's it is always possible. And, you know, we'll have to see more from people's Jones. And we who was another Example, like to cross over to baseball, like Logan Allen looked like a standout in spring training and look at him right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, the same could happen to people's Jones, but let's hope that's not the case. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, we know that the orange and Brown game is happening tomorrow. Uh, I will be in studio actually for that. So I won't be able to go over to first energy stadium. Uh, and then of course, like I mentioned, Jacksonville, Part of the three-game preseason this year, but we did start the preseason the other night, Sean, with the Hall of Fame game in Canton Thursday night. Steelers Cowboys. Did you watch? I did not watch. I no, didn't either. I was no. not, so there you uh, go. I was not interested in that. <laughs> I watched a little bit. I was working on uh, some stuff on my computer, and I just had it on uh, one of the apps on there. But it just it, it's it's the same thing every year at this point. It's a very cool thing that the NFL the NFL bubble just sort of meets up in this one little little core of the world that is Canton, Ohio for one week to celebrate the Hall of Fame festivities and of course the game but uh you're really only seeing those starters for like 6 7 snaps and that's it. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is and plus it's going to be an adjustment going to three pieces in games and seeing how they go with uh starting players from there on out. Yeah, it made me wonder the other day because I think Stefanski was talking about it. Ke- uh, Kevin Stefanski was talking about it during one of his press conferences and was asked about uh, teams potentially moving towards um, having dual practices with other teams to try and get themselves ready mm. and conditioned for uh, uh, this upcoming season like they hadn't in the past. Like, for example, the Browns are going to be having joint practices with the Giants this year. Yeah, and oh boy, that was a funny, not necessarily funny, but... Well, yeah, we can. You want to get to that now? Yeah, let's, let's get, get to it now. That so we, I mean, what is it now? Six Giants players have since retired since the start of. Uh, obviously, not six. It's, I think it's three at this so, point. Yeah, Kelvin Benjamin was one of them. Yep. Well, yeah. At first, here's the thing. When that first happened, I thought to myself, "Okay, you know what? It's just a guy who was kind of on his last rope. He was trying to transition to a new position. He'd had problems before. He just didn't get along with the coach. Fine." And then you get two more guys, and then it becomes a, what we call a pattern. And I'm starting to wonder what the hell is going on in not the Meadowlands. Where do the Giants uh, have their uh, – Yeah, East Rutherford. Is, is it East Rutherford? I think so. All right, well, then what's the hell is going on in East Rutherford? Yeah, you tell me. I don't know exactly, but other than that, the, the uh, Giants under, get into – Go ahead. The Giants under Joe Judge have um, – which is what? We're only in our second year so far of uh, the Joe Judge experiment – I, I guess it's known that he has kind of tough practices over there, like running laps if you make a mental mistake, doing uh, uh, di- like different calisthenics and exercises, and I'm guessing it's to a point where the guys are either worn out or they're just sick of what's going on. Yeah, and then uh, you have the whole brawl that goes on just a couple days later after right. some of these retirements where basically the whole team is running gassers, 
doing push-ups, running gases again, repeat, rinse, repeat. And finally, he shoes away all of his coaches. He chews out his own players and ends the practice after all that mercifully. Which do you, here's here's my thought process on it. I mean, the the that kind of coaching obviously was likely a somewhat standard in a in a past time. Would you agree with that? I'd say so. Yeah, because it, it, be, because mm-hmm. it was very much easier to put that sort of work on what people would call grown men, grown ass men. And nowadays with people trying to make sure that practices, while they are efficient, they're trying to make them as uh, safe and effective for the players as possible. And I don't, and I don't want to say, go on here and say that Joe judge is running a system that is completely uh, 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 outside the boundaries of what is acceptable as a head coach. Cause he's a head coach. You make your own decisions, but is it somewhat surprising that we still, still kind of hear stories about this today? I think it's surprising that we still hear him today because we're at a point now where it's so easy to get that sort of information out there, especially if you have uh, uh, media outlets and media personalities uh, attending your practices, especially in the outdoors. Yeah, I mean, 100% it's easier. I mean, even though there's been curtailed access across all leagues due to the COVID-19 pandemic and vaccination rates and what have you. Well, there's even some. Uh, it's just, I know, but year. just in general, just getting that little caveat out of the way, it's still been a lot easier to get all that stuff out there versus it might be hearsay or like, myth or legend in the past sure yeah that's my point there yeah it's it's tough and i and that might be also a change in the perspective of uh not just media figures but people people who had just have camera phones at this point where even i would say when the camera phone was first invented you may not uh, have, have pulled your phone out at something like this in the past or you wouldn't have had the instinct to and now, and especially back then when camera phones were basically just like four pixels and that's all you got. Nowadays, it's like 1080p, 60 FPS, uh, whatever terms you want me to throw out there. And you yeah. see now. And well, you, ultra 4K or whatever. Yeah. Um, oh, I don't even know when I, Apple's going to put something like that out. Three years after like, Samsung, probably. I mean, I mean, YouTube already has some of those videos, even depending yeah, on like I, even your phone, too. I, I thought about that, but I, I don't think that my computer could run 4K footage and i just don't want to have to deal with that probably can if it's like a minute long video all right but we're, getting, we're getting we're getting off topic yeah this yeah, giant thing it, it's hard it's 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 not easy to say that like i don't know it, when you when you talk about players nowadays versus players that back then like sure the players got through it but i'm sure some guys probably sustained injuries, probably sustained health problems, probably sustained some sort of condition or something that that really had an effect on them. And now we're more prone to that. We're more aware of it, and we're trying to make sure that it doesn't happen to anybody in the future. I mean, it was what, that mm-hmm. the Vikings who had a practice uh, almost 20 years ago in which a player died uh, uh, due to excessive heat. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> don't know what to say to that other than you know we just don't want to see that happen no nobody nobody wants to see it happen and i think that people still want players to make sure that they work hard enough to to really gain progress in their abilities they just want to make sure that it's not going to a point where it's hurting the body rather than helping right exactly all right now let me bring the the segment back up because i think I think I might be able to. I I have been working over the last week looking at this one particular Twitter page, and we'll shout him out anyway because he needs to be either known as the world's funniest beat reporter or one of my favorite troll jobs in the NFL right now. Now, we talked about this before the show. There is the examples of like the reply guys on Twitter who are very prominent on sports Twitter. These are the kind of guys you might see in the replies of like an Ian Rappaport or an Adam Schefter or some sort of mega athlete or personality in sports. And they always have some sort of uh, crack to say or some sort of joke or some sort of troll uh, statement. And it's a lot of times it's really, really funny. There was uh, some cases a few years ago of 
not even a few years ago, they're still going today, of like Barry, the guy known as Barry, who has gone through, I think, multiple pages. There might be more than one Barry, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but the current one is at Ultra Weed Hater. And <laughs> we were talking about him, what he has been doing with some of the jokes, uh, like the Kirk Cousins thing. And then there's this guy, this at Wes Steinberg, Sean. Wesley Steinberg is his name. And at first it looks like... Mm. It looks just normal. Here's his bio. NFL and New York Giants insider, AS-MR sports representative. That might be a uh, that might be a clue. Loving husband and father and then here we go, real American. That that's this is where this is where I probably should have known and maybe sh- still don't know. I'm not sure at this point because I'm really wondering is this a real writer or am i getting trolled because it's an official page this is this doesn't feel like a reply guy as much but this yeah. is th- this what's the handle on this one at wes steinberg s-t-e-i-n-b-e-r-g it has i mean i at this point i know it is at the beginning though i was thinking to myself like is this guy like serious is this actually happen or what is going on and because here's the one tweet that I think went kind of viral last week. It's got over 2,500 likes, and that's not yeah. viral. You said but EST, viral no, not a W. Just uh, there's there. Where do you need a W? Yeah, I'm just trying to I'm trying to figure out what his handle is. I'm trying to At find West him. Like Steinberg, S T E I N B E R G W E S Steinberg. Yeah, I'm not finding him at all. How are you not finding him on Twitter? I don't know. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm trying to find him. W e s t, W e s t s t e i n. Yeah, W e s s t, s s t, e i n. W e s s t. Come on. E i n. Berg. And and then B u r g. Yes, we got the spelling lesson. Yep. Are you there? No, he's not showing up. That's that's so. That Dude, I'll make show you. Sense. I'll show you. I'm turn on my video camera real fast. It doesn't make any sense. First of all, like, I'm getting. First of all, all I'm getting is a reflection. And oh wow, you can't. Uh. W e s no 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 buddy 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 I know what you did. It's b e r g not b u r g. It's not like berg. It's berg. Oh. Try b e r g. Oh, there we go. There we go. Bald guy. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Yeah. And if somebody's listening to this and they know what this is, and if you're the, first of all, if you're the person who's doing this, come on the show. I want to have you on the show and talk about your prowess. But this was the tweet that is pinned on their profile. This is from July 28th. This is the day that Kelvin Benjamin got cut. The Giants have cut tight end Kelvin Benjamin. Uh, Video surveillance footage showed Benjamin had been... had been stealing food from the facility to take home. Benjamin was told by Gettleman and Judge before storming off and leaving camp. Now, here's the thing, Sean. When you read that for the second time, you think to yourself, okay, that's obviously a joke. That's obviously playing on the fact that Benjamin has had weight problems over the last few years. At first, I'll admit, it sounded kind of real. Yeah, and plus the thing that makes it not real right now as I turn my camera off oh, Jesus. is the AS-MR sports representative. Yes. I am not that one. Uh-uh. You're not You're not that one. I, I mean, that one, one piece of that bio, it just... It, 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 it's just a little off, you know? It's yeah. kind, of, kind of those instances where... And there's another one, like, from... Uh, <laughs> Like, here's another one from four days ago. Royal Rumble scenes here at Giants training camp after a huge brawl broke out. Evan Ingram and Logan Ryan got into it pretty bad, and everyone jumped in. Ryan said to Ingram, where's his passion during games, Butterfingers? Jones sprinted in and tripped on his own feet. That's where – that was the tweet where I, t- I said to myself, wait a minute. This does – this can't be – this yeah. – this because is the one right after that is head coach Joe Judge on yesterday's brawl. I'm not going to lie. It turned me on a little seeing the guys that passionate. <laughs> <laughs> that I mean, just the way they structure. And you know what? That, that that opens another conversation too. Isn't it kind of something that a lot of these reporters, as great a job as they're doing, making sure that they the latest sports news gets out to the public, they all do. They all have to sound the same just to make sure that they don't get misconstrued or or sound uh, not objective enough. You ever notice yeah. that nowadays? Especially because I don't remember when sports reporting really became prominent. 
on sites like Twitter. And again, it's made the transition to the point where now that's where mostly everybody gets their sports news and just news in general. Yeah, I mean, oh, I mean, I try to do like a little bit of a mix where I'm objective and I try to show that side of me. But, you know, sure. I obviously have my own biases and maybe I'll leak out a little bit through certain, you know, words or tweets and you just are able to pick up on it depending on just what it is. But there does have to be some sort of objective objectiveness and there is a little bit more of a cookie cutter kind of thing because of the age we're in what do you mean the age we're in like we have everyone almost has the same access to everything you could get you know someone else's audio very fast instead of just having to hunt another person down for that same audio it's not like oh you get a day later you can get it minutes later like everything is just so much more streamlined compared to in the past well, let me tell you something as as a person who works in radio i like the idea that you can just get your audio from a source instead of having to rush down somebody to get it if you can't get it yourself because i've feared many instances that we weren't able to get audio from a player or a game moment and thankfully we've been able to find sources whether it be online or from somebody else that uh you we are able to get it in the system and play it onto our airwaves um, so I think that's an advantage nowadays. I do understand what you mean, though, is that to the point where since everybody's so connected that it's hard. It, it, yeah. it, it can, it's not hard. It's actually very easy for people to uh, uh, see one post or what some or something just in different ways. And they might be uh, it might be ways that are good, maybe ways that are bad. Yeah. And I think for people like, you know, me right now, it's kind of an advantage because with everything that's out there, like there's so much more access, you're able to report and report credibly. And if you're able to get any insider stuff, like you're able to add more, you know, credibility to your profile, like there, that's kind of where it kind of benefits people at the same time. Right. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at my tweets right now and some of them do kind of use that same uh, standard, but other ones are just kind of me being a, being a jerk on Twitter, a 23-year-old jerk on Twitter just trying to be funny about something. Like, how about this? Last night, oh, this poor – not even last night. It was reported this morning by Shams, uh, this poor guy. Aaron Baines, the immortal oh, Aaron boy. Baines, apparently might miss the entire season. And this is not a Barry tweet. This is not a, 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 a Wesley Steinberg tweet. Aaron Baines could miss the entire 2021 season. Sources say Baines remains in the hospital with severe nerve damage in his neck, an injury more significant than initially diagnosed. And so, and so I, and so I decided three hours ago to tell somebody to at Baines fan club stat. Because I don't know if you know of this Twitter page, Sean, but the unofficial Aaron Baines fan club has a following. Do you remember that a few years ago when Baines was, on, was in Phoenix? There was like an, the unofficial. That was another reply guy, the unofficial Aaron Baines fan club. I don't exactly remember it, but it is ringing a bell. This was this was a special, special little fan club that really took advantage of the fact that Aaron Baines was just this guy who was known for taking charges in the NBA, this big, lanky white guy. And then there was one game. I can't remember exactly when it was. I'll have to look this up. But Aaron Baines went off for like 30 points in a game and I think it mostly happened in the first half might have been in the first uh quarter yeah Aaron Baines erupted for a career high 37 points and nine uh three-point makes this was back on March 6 2020 mm. and I remember the Aaron Baines fan club like tweeting like they were going nuts and everybody was saying somebody uh, uh, check on Aaron Baines fan club, see if they're okay. And I was laughing the whole night because it was so funny to see that actually come to fruition. Yeah. I mean, there's the Bobby Bradley fan club too. So I didn't, I didn't know that until a few days ago. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 yeah. I like that one. It's pretty funny. And then yeah. uh, what was the other one? Um, Am I missing? Am I missing one? Maybe. I don't remember. I, I know. There was well, we are one. on a, uh, a Cleveland topic really quick. Sure. I have a scorching hot take. Let's hear it. I have seen enough starts out Cal Control. He is transitioned from name? the bullpen to the rotation. He's been stretched what? out. Wait, 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 wait. What's and his he, name? 
Cal Quantrill. You said Quantrill before. Oh yeah, I meant I. Yeah, I. Could, I know what you yeah, meant. Go ahead. Yeah, but he has impressed me more and more and more, and I'm going to be honest. He is looking like how Carrasco started to look once he started to turn around his career after coming out of the bullpen and whatever season it was way back when. And the way Quantrill threw last night and the way he's pitched since Kansas City er earlier in July, I think that Cal Quantrill by 2024 will be one of the next Cy Young winners that Cleveland will have produced. That is what the kids call a bold take. He has lowered his season ERA from that start from 4.23 to 3.14. He has had 31 games, 13 games started, 91 and two-thirds innings. Uh, overall, 3-2 and two record, five quality starts. All five of those have come in five of his past six starts. And he has a 1.24 whip to go along with 71 strikeouts, 30 free passes. And from my article last night, if I can pull that up, I will give you the stat line for overall his past couple of games. Yeah. The uh, Indians perspective who put that one together for uh, me in time uh, to post that under my tidbit section on Mark one sports webpage is that Quantrill uh, has gone two and zero. With a 2.36 ERA over 34 and a third frames, walking 13 batters while adding 22 strikeouts and a 1.14 whip. And he was a very highly regarded prospect out of San Diego's system when he originally came up. And he was in the bullpen for most of last season. He finally been stretched out. He's been let loose. He is showing the promise that Indians have done this before with Carrasco. I see a lot of Carrasco in him, and I see a few instances of maybe a little bit of a Bieber or someone else in him a little bit too. I'm not saying like all Bieber stuff. I'm seeing like just very small, like kind of just confidence level from Bieber, not maybe the stoicism, but I see it. I see the road where Cal Quantrill in the neck by 2024 could win a Cy Young. He looks that good right now. I am kind of taken aback by it because I do like Quantrill as just a every uh, every other day starter for the Indians, but I I would not have expected him to kind of grow into that sort of uh, ability to where you could potentially be in the running for an award like that. Yeah, and that's why I am I am very confident in that, and that's why I'm <laughs> dropping it here. Okay, all right, I'm I will I will uh, make sure to cut this and. Plaster it right on the Weekenders Clips page on YouTube, plug, and we will hold this on you for the next three-odd years. Yeah. I mean, right. 2024 is the final year that I think, like, he would win it in. You don't, I'm, you don't think I don't think, you, you know, he's obviously not, he's not going to have a shot to win it this year. There's going to be far better candidates, you know, and he's just establishing himself. He only has started 13 games. So I'm saying next year, 2023 or 2024, one of those years, he's going to win it. All right. I mean, you never know with these sort of guys. I mean, you got in the National League, you got Zach Wheeler of all guys potentially now in the running for the Cy Young Award. He's still so. freaking good. I, I know. Love Wheeler. He's 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 having a season kind of like uh, what was it for Felix Hernandez had a few. Years also, ago. Bryce Harper might be your MVP. How about that? I mean, and the Phillies just took first place, so things might be on the rise now as we get to the last uh, month and change on the season. Yeah, I mean. I don't know if I could really shred the Mets for everything that has gone wrong with their season because they've been injured to hell. Yeah, I could, it's bad luck. I could I could bash their training staff, certainly. Nothing on Steve Cohen's yeah. fault either. But this this is just like who's the other team I was thinking of? This is like the Angels with their pitchers, except across every single position. Yeah, and then somehow the uh the Angels are doing worse. Yeah. Yeah, and that's something. And by the way, out in the AOS, getting off topic for a second here, sure. the Mariners are still above 500 at the moment. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if they're going to be able to keep up in this race, but uh, hey, I don't I think mean, they'll make the. I don't think they'll make it in the postseason, but I think they I think might have a legitimate chance to finish above 500, maybe 85 and 77. Are they just cursed to not make the playoffs at this point? It was. It's been, I think, since 95. Jared Kelnick is starting to turn it around a little bit. I understand that, but it's been so long. They're kind of like uh 
It's like they've Minnesota- got the prospects, dude. They are almost ready. Another year or two, and they're there. Yeah. Plus, don't forget that uh, what the Astros could lose Carlos Correa this year, and I know they still probably have a couple of decent players in their system, yeah. but they're only going to really have what Bregman, Altuve, McCullers, and a couple guys. I- I'm not. I'm. I- I'm not. You know counting on every member of the rotation to be like a superstar like Luis Garcia could still you know become a ne- their next homegrown superstar but there's a chance that the Astros fall off sooner than expected I'm very interested in seeing the AL East race and where it ends up in the last six weeks because now we have a surging Yankees team who's been doing better over these last uh, two weeks especially I after the trade. I hate that end. with a passion I know you do I know you do but I like it I like Anthony Rizzo what he's been up to I like Joey Gallo on there now and it seems like they've got some stuff together uh Boston is just what the hell happened to Boston at this point uh do we have another I, no, I'm not going over there. It's not going to be like that. Just, nope, 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 So nope. many losses in a row, and now you got Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay was probably always going to well, take Well, the good news go. is this is probably as long as today's rehab start goes well for him. Chris Sale probably returns to the rotation Friday or Saturday next week. That's something. I mean, then you got AL West. AL Central's in the bag. White Sox already got it. They're going to get it. Phillies just took overtook the NL East. This NL East squad, this NL East in general. Is Don't just... count out the Reds if when they get Nick Castellanos back healthy. Central, uh, uh. They're not super far out of it, but don't count them out because Castellanos was on an MVP-like level. The Brewers would have to go on an absolute nosedive to let the Reds back in it right now, and both teams are playing about the same right now. Luis Castillo has rebounded and is pitching the best as he has in his career after a horrible first two months. All right. So that's an ace back in your rotation instead of a liability. All right. They have upgraded their bullpen somewhat in Cincinnati, although according to my Cincinnati friends, it is still somewhat shaky. But it is better than it was a little bit ago. Yeah. Not to mention that uh, the NL West, uh, which could have three teams. The division of death. Yeah, pretty much for Colorado and Arizona. No, I'm just saying, like, when you have a bunch of great teams stuck together in the, no, in the that, same division. No, I'm, saying, I'm saying that division is where Arizona and Colorado go to die, basically, at yeah. this point of the year. Arizona. Arizona, do you realize? Hold on a second. I saw this statistic the other day. Arizona is on pace right now, I believe to match the same record as the 2003 Detroit Tigers. Yeah, doesn't surprise me, especially when the owner is in his focus on winning as he is threatening a former state attorney general who criticized him a little bit. Well, that was very specific that you just pulled out there. Uh, yeah, I, if you want to go read about it a little bit, I hyperlinked it in Where Things Stand, 2021 MLB edition, part two on my Medium page. All right. So 51 wins is where they're at right now for like they're on pace to get right now because they only have 35 wins. The yep. Diamondbacks, 35 and 76, earn a winning percentage of 315. And if you were to keep that winning percentage going for the rest of the year, I guess you could probably say, oh, well, they can go on a hot streak, you know, the cold streak in this. That's still on pace for 51 games. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. They are going to suck for a long time at this uh, rate. I don't know. I mean, Arizona, three years. Well, here's the thing. Arizona in 2004, I believe, did the same thing that the Marlins of those of those t- teams of those times did, where they would sell off all the talent right after the World Series victory. Yeah, when was the Diamondbacks World Series win? I, I'm trying to remember that. 2001. 2001? Yep. Okay. That was against that uh, dynasty, that Joe Torre dynasty Yankees squad. That yeah. was kind of near because the here's end. the thing. I feel like most people like that's blanked out of their memories is that the Diamondbacks have won a World Series eh, in this century. It's one of the more memorable World Series, especially you know. I know, with- but still, like I, I never hear anyone talk about. Oh, the Diamondbacks have won a World Series. No, I think they I do. never hear that. No, I think they do. I think it's 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 definitely one of the most memorable, especially for taking down a, a Yankees team like that and to, to do it in Game Seven against. Mariano Rivera, Luis Gonzalez, who I think is one of the most, I, I will say he's one of the most forgotten all-stars of all time. Now, granted, that might have been because uh, that might have been during the rush of the steroid era, but I can't confirm nor deny that. But he had like 57 home runs that season for Arizona. People forget yeah. that. 57. And that's coming from a guy who had been in the league for uh, over a decade at that point. Yeah, and then just like, Boom, dynamite, explosion, whatever word you want to insert right there. Yeah, what is it here? Yeah, 50, yeah, 57. Okay, so yeah, Arizona won in 2001, and then 2004, by that time, uh, Kurt Schilling was gone, Randy Johnson was gone, 
uh, all the the pretty good players. I think Luis Gonzalez was still there, but it was just not yeah. the same. And then they finished with a record of I believe I have here fifty one fifty. Oh wow, here we go fifty one and one hundred and eleven, which is the which was the worst record <laughs> by any National League team since the nineteen sixty five. New York Mets. Now, granted, one good thing happened for the team that year. Can you tell me what happened for the Arizona Diamondbacks in the 2004 season? A positive thing. Is it related to the draft? Is no. that no on the field? On the field. On the field. On the field. Yep. Shoot. So uh, it's a very rare occasion. It wasn't a no hitter, was it? No, I'm. I'm I, wasn't a no hitter. Perfect game. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to remember who th- it had to be Randy who threw that or it was Randy. I was wrong. Randy was with the team by then. So Randy uh, didn't get he I forgot I remember now. Randy didn't get traded to the Yankees until 2005. 2005 something, like that. something yeah. like that. Yeah. And that was the one real positive they had throughout that entire season and now and then and then uh uh four, 3 years later, I remember in 2007 they were on the Brink of the playoffs, or they got they were they were in the brink because I they think the Nymax made it. I think they did. Uh, no, no, no. Two thousand seven, I believe, was the play yeah. the playoff the the one game playoff with Colorado that the Rockies ended up winning. So they were close, but oh. they didn't make it. Okay, that's yeah, because I remember seeing like the Diamondbacks and Rockies. I thought no, no, I was wrong again. Two thousand seven, while uh, Western Division champions. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah, because the Diamondbacks, the Rockies, and then you had who else? St. Louis and the Mets. The uh, Mets made that, it that year. Two thousand six was the Mets. Okay, uh, yeah, I, I believe was uh, uh, Diamondbacks. Yeah, the NL runner-ups were the Diamondbacks. Yep. And champs were the Rockies, and then Cleveland was the runner-ups to Boston, who would go on to win the World Series. Yes. I was at game three of the ALCS was what hooked me on baseball for life. I was at game four. Yeah. I mean, game three, I remember Lofton hitting that home run over center field. And then uh, I remember Big Poppy getting hit in the leg by that live grounder for an out, which that that was like, you know, you don't see that too often. No. And it was Westbrook versus Matsuzaka. I mean, it was just a Dice great day. game of baseball. And if you ever remember those, like, I think it was Anheuser-Busch or Budweiser commercials, something like that, or uh, where they had, like, the guy who would do the delivery truck stuff. Yeah. Uh, he was in the crowd that do, night, and they put him on the Jumbotron. Yeah, you know he passed away? I didn't know. No. Yeah. What? Yeah, when? Years ago. Yeah. Oh, I wish I knew. Yeah, Miller uh, Lake. You can literally look up Miller Lake guy. Uh, what was his name? I'm, I'm Wendell Middlebrooks right was his name. Yeah, he died in 2015. Wendell Middlebrooks. He was an American actor and singer, most famous as a TV pitchman for Miller High Life Beer. Middlebrooks also starred in the television shows A Sweet Life on Deck on Disney Channel and Body Approved for ABC. Uh, yeah. Dude. Yeah. Only 36 years old. Yeah. It's, it's, cause, cause that was, I think he was, uh, the last commercial I remember him in for Miller High Life was uh, when Miller decided to donate their airtime during the Super Bowl to like local businesses in the country. Yeah, and that's the last time I remember him. Yeah, that. that, that but I, I kind of forgot about him until you brought him up just now. Yeah. Uh, yep. Rest in peace, Wendell Dwayne Absolutely. Jr. I mean, seriously, like that. Like he, his commercials were some of my favorites. Like when I was a little kid. Oh yeah, even though, you know, even though like you know, obviously couldn't drink beer. He was just a funny guy with how they did the and how yeah. he shot the commercials. Like it was, it was pure he, gold. He seemed like the guy who would you would see at a ball game, kind of walking down the aisle, just uh, yelling and trying to sell beer. Exactly. Which, by the way, we saw some of those guys last night because we were sitting, uh, we were sitting third base side, first level. And uh, we we I was sitting right on the aisle, so I got to get an earful of some of those guys. And those guys are cool. Uh, I like the ones at the uh, yeah. At the I was field. up in the press box. Yeah, yeah. That, I was thinking about that last night, where it's like you. It's obvious. It's a very different experience going in there as a professional uh, uh, business like reporter versus your mm-hmm. average uh, jerk fan who's just walking around. And by the way, one thing yeah. I forgot about the Indians games now that I I do I do not miss 
from the beginning of the pandemic is just how everybody at times, especially in the walkways, are like packed in like sardines. Yeah. I, and I'm not, I even, not. I'm not even a person who after all this has been like, oh, I don't want to be around people. <laughs> I'm, if anything, I want to be around more people. Give me more people, more people I can see and hang out with. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. That being said. Here's the thing is that after last season two, mm-hmm. I mean – it, it's a whole different experience just having gone through a season with no fans being there for sure. half of it, plus the playoff game one against the Yankees versus being there for, you know, the gradual progression in April and May only as a, as a writer slash, you know, like, you know, coverage guy. And then the first time I went back as a fan was that opening day 2.0. And I was like, Oh shots yeah. Because I to go to I, basically I'd done, 15 games basically i'm counting the wild card uh from last season Mm -hmm. then 10 games already to that point before joining up with mark one sports this year and i'm like you know i'm with my two buddies i'm like i'm looking up at the press box i'm like my hands are dirty i'm like i should be working i should be typing up a story or something when i'm here (laughs) like i'm not i wasn't used to it it took me a little while until like the action started to really roll uh for me to really get into it and kind of just like let that melt off like that that for me was like Oh wow! Yeah, I'm sure. I'm call. sure it must have been surreal, especially for the people that you work with, and that I guess I work with too. Um, when you go, when you were to go to the press box for the first time, when the season mm-hmm. resumed, and there's nobody there except the players and you, yeah, and the occasional I mean, worker. That, that was weird, especially from uh, you know last year. Yeah, but as I think I've said to you before, it was kind of a refreshing thing in some respects from where there were no fans because when I've played Sandlot baseball, which is an actual program that's been run for 23 years here in Strongsville, I've been a part of it for 11 years. Like it kind of feels like that backyard baseball kind of feels that, you know, it's still like the best of the best in the game. Yeah. But at the same time, the lack of the energy was just so depressing. We take it. We took it for, I mean, yeah. Like the thing was like a game to the 60 game season. It was like bottom of the ninth. Roberto Perez was up against the Royals. And I think there was a runner on second or, Something like that. There was at least a runner on base. And the fake crowd noise, you, you could just tell the energy was just so different. Yeah. And yeah. He, he couldn't get any momentum and, and ended up going to extras and they lost uh, that second game of the season. Yeah, it's, it, it must have been a, a very artificial feeling at times. Yeah. But we're getting it was, back But to in that. a way, it was, you know, from the back, from the ball player perspective, in a way, uh, from my perspective, at least, you know, it it was kind of refreshing to see the game played like that to some extent, but you know, obviously having fans back was much cooler, especially once uh, I remember it was that Saturday and Sunday of the Yankee series in April, when you were still capped like 10,500 when Bieber and Cole were doing, that was awesome. Fans were getting into it. And the same for that Sunday game and Clint Frazier, we, we were, I think you were there for that one where Clint Frazier made that absolutely awesome diving grab. And yeah. I saw that without before the replay. I'm like, I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. But, but that being said, yeah. some, uh, some fans in this ballpark just need to get moving in the concourse. I know. Like, I know. like you have two legs. And I guess, I mean, I guess if you're, if you're in there and you're uh you're like yeah. like walking assistance. That's one thing. But if you have yeah. two walking, mm-hmm. like two moving legs, get it moving. I was tr- trying to stand in for because it was Dollar Dog li- night last night at the game, as well mm-hmm. as uh, two dollar Miller uh, Miller Light cans. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the uh, concessions are just so backed up. They yeah, really and I understand it's probably just because you know they're they're trying to get the workers are trying to get everything in order, and I understand that. But there were just times where I'm thinking to myself, like, oh my god, people, get yeah. it going. And I, I know I, I'm like, I want to do the same thing too, Mitch. I, I like, I don't hate that. people. Like, yeah, I, don't, I, don't. I don't typically hate people, but there are just some times where it's, yeah. and that being yeah. said, you could be having somebody right behind you thinking the exa- exact same thing about you and you don't even realize it. Exactly. And I think this is a good point where instead of us ranting about that, why don't we get into uh, the big news of yesterday and sure. what could be happening with, Cleveland's part of this. Yeah. Okay. So I'll, I'll explain it for you. Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills is now a very, 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 
Very, very rich man. Very, very, very rich man. Yeah. Two hundred and fifty-eight million dollars reportedly over the next, over, well, over the six-year deal that uh, he is signing on to extend his contract to remain in Buffalo. One hundred and fifty million in total guarantees and a hundred million dollars in full guarantee. That's according to reports again. Uh, that this is the first domino of the twenty eighteen quarterback class. The core specifically with Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, and Baker Mayfield. By the way, those last two still have yet to officially sign extensions. We know one team is going to give their quarterback the one. It's Lamar. Yeah. This Mm -hmm. one, I'm sure they're going to get to it as well. They want to get to it. They are staying very close to the vest on this, and I like Mm -hmm. that they're doing that. Yeah, and, you know— Lamar, I, I'm waiting to see what he gets because that Allen's price tag just jumped what he could do. Although I wonder how the Ravens are going to take his athleticism into these discussions and be like, look, you need to improve your pocket passing because there's no way they're going to let him go after jumping into the first round to grab him back in the 2018 draft class. But with Baker Mayfield, he's someone who I would bet would bet on himself. But to go back to Allen for a minute, Allen, well-deserved, he has made strides each and every single year. And he looked like an almost MVP candidate last season, if not for the brilliance that was Aaron Rodgers. I mean, Allen and Diggs just flourished. And you could see without the without uh, Terry and Kempagula, you know, basically not meddling in this, they have allowed Brandon Bean, uh, not related to... Uh, uh, MLB in any way, uh, or Billy Bean or whatever it is, and then uh, also letting you know uh, uh, McDermott to do his job. I mean, what a stunning turnaround, and what a great job they've done over there. And that brings us to Cleveland's quarterback, the number one overall pick, Baker Mayfield, who people, I feel like, still see a lot of the cocky kid from Oklahoma, the guy who didn't succeed with high expectations under a head coach and Freddie Kitchens, but I'm getting to the point here where it may not be outlandish to say that Mayfield, if he were to sign an extension today, should be aiming for as much, if not more than Allen has due to his overall three years. Both of them have played three years in the league, how many games they've played and all the stats from all those games, basically. Okay, well, first of all, I don't, I don't agree with your statement that uh, Baker is still kind of seen as the cocky uh, uh, kind of There are like, some asshole. people out there. I'm not saying everyone. I understand everyone. that there probably like a very are, but minority. I think last year kind of proved that he can be reined in by a good system around him and a good head coach. I think now what it is, though, is that he hasn't exploded in terms of ability and uh, uh, his play. In terms of some compared to somebody like a Lamar Jackson, who's won the most valuable player award, or a Josh Allen, who almost won the MVP award last year. Baker still mm-hmm. has a jump, I would say. And the jump could happen this year. In fact, I would actually bet some money on it happening this year because you are playing for your extension. You are pl- not 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 just uh, getting the Browns back to the playoffs, not just getting them past the division around this time, getting them to a Super Bowl. You're playing for your future. Baker yeah. has this year to prove, at least in my mind, and I'm sure many other people's minds, that this is the guy for the future. Much like Buffalo invested a lot of their time and money into Allen for the next few years, the Browns have an option to do that with Baker, and I think he's going to prove his damnedest to get it done this year. Yeah, and while the 2020 stats between both Allen and Mayfield, like Allen has the edge in almost everything. Like Mayfield's two edges are interceptions being at 8 to 10, interception percentage 1.6 to 1.7, and like yards per completion 11.7 to 11.5. Over the course of their careers, Baker has played two more games. He has almost 100 more completions. He has uh, over... Uh, a, more than 150 passing attempts, uh, more than Allen. He's got a, a 61.9 to 61.8 completion percentage. He's thrown for 11,115 yards to Allen's 9,707. He's 
Mayfield's also thrown eight more TDs and has just maybe the most minuscule edge in touchdown percentage. He has thrown more interceptions overall due to that Freddie Kitchens year, the slightly higher in- interception percentage. He's actually got more first downs from passing uh, with 538 to 463. Uh, he's got, you know, uh, 7.4 yards per attempt. That's career. Uh, 7.1 yards per pass attempt just barely goes to Allen. It's almost a tie there. Uh, yards per completion, 11.9, 11.6. I mean, the, the, st- the stats are very similar, if not, you know, just having Baker having the edge in most of these categories. You could argue that Baker is worth at least $240 million, maybe right now. Especially yeah. with what Allen has set the market at. He's probably worth at least... $240 million. That's it right there. You said it right there. Allen has set the market, and Baker, I think, is going to be looking beyond that level of if market. He, if he plays with OBJ, clicks, Jarvis clicks, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Rashard Higgins clicks, clicks, Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, that O-line, everything, Austin Hooper, David Njoku, and especially if he leads them to the AFC Championship game or even, dare I say, the say Super it. Bowl they are going to have a very interesting discussion because I wonder if he doesn't even try to go just for three hundred million, but four hundred, depending on the type of season he has. If you asked a fan after the twenty eighteen season that uh, who would you rather give your longtime money to, Baker or Josh Allen, you would have clearly picked Baker Mayfield because he was the guy that set the rookie touchdown record, whereas Josh Allen uh, was the guy who threw ten touchdowns and twelve interceptions. But the point that I was trying to make earlier is that. Allen made the jump compared to what Baker had in year one. He made the jump in, he made the jump from what he was in year one more than what I think Baker has in year one. In fact, Baker tried to take the jump in year two, stumbled on his own feet and crashed off the trampoline. But I think he got back on the trampoline in year three and is is maybe just a little bit higher than year one. I think he's a smarter quarterback. I think he's a more uh, composed quarterback. I think he can keep his his uh his his personality in check this time and this year was going to be the determining factor especially with like you said a stacked offense potentially if he can just pile on the numbers over 4000 yards 4500 even 30 35 even 40 touchdowns if he does that then you get the deal where yeah where you see Allen like I said before 10 touchdowns 12 interceptions the next year 20 touchdowns 9 interceptions better around what Baker was in year 1 to like year 3 but he embarrassed himself in the playoff game but then in this these playoffs he played 3 games I believe yeah 3 uh, 1 2 3 and he looked competent enough in fact he looked like the main engineer of the offense for a lot of uh, Buffalo's uh, good work in those games yeah I mean, Alan, like I know, and we were, this was back even when I was in my first semester with BSR, when I was just fits on sports and I had you on my show a few times, Yep. if you remember that. And you, you were on the Alan train and yes, I, I was. you know, Alan for me, I, and I told you back then that Alan for me scared me because I was afraid he was another Deshaun Kaiser. That was hmm. my fear who with by, Alan. Who, by the way, got cut by Tennessee uh, yeah, yesterday from I Matt saw Barkley. That. Oh, and that made boy. me think about that, but... <sighs> You, you were right. Like, he, you know, he was able to make the jump, and maybe it was, you know, well, he I, had to get the work in. But you were right about Allen. You were, he ended up being. I was right about his know, physical prowess. Yeah. I wasn't, I, I wasn't so sure on his mental game, especially coming from a place that wasn't exactly a football factor, wasn't exactly known for playing the biggest of games. Yeah. And then you go to a place like Buffalo and you're like, oh boy, they haven't had a great history. It's exactly where the Browns were back in 2018. And in fact, yeah. I doubt that he would have had the same development as good in Buffalo if he had kept it with Cleveland, where he would have had to deal with the Hugh Jacksons. And who knows where that would have gone if he would have had to deal yeah. with the Freddie Kitchens. Because the Bills went out. into the advanced statistics stuff, I think, or something like that. And found a way to fix some of his like mechanics and that's how he was able to start launching the ball more accurately yeah this past year and baker like the 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 personalities definitely factored into it i think with where each franchise is now allen fits more of the buffalo mold baker fits more of the cleveland hard-nosed working mold especially with him being a walk-on twice 
to two different schools and winning the Heisman and yeah. then getting to be number one overall pick. That's the first time he probably wasn't slighted in any way. Like that's like Baker fits the mentality of Cleveland as well as Allen fits the mentality of Buffalo. Yeah, and I, I, at the time with Buffalo, we didn't know that if Sean McDermott was going to be uh, a capable enough coach. It turns out he's been more than capable um, getting them back to not only the playoffs, but their first AFC title game since the early 90s. So, yeah, again, with the Jim Kelly teams and and we have, and they have a Stephon Diggs and they have many other great pieces on the offense that are all yeah, like, they, I, it was running like, back is still a little bit iffy. But what was it? Sha- Devlin- uh, Rappaport said yesterday, like there's a bunch of key pieces in there, all 27 and younger. Yeah, a lot of those pieces are all pretty young. And they all have a lot of money now, or they're due to get money soon. So that's a team kind of like these. You already have to deal with Kansas City in the AFC. Now Mm -hmm. you're going to have to deal as well probably with a Buffalo team that's just going to be just as explosive on offense, has just as good of a coaching mind, and could easily put them. It could be Kansas City, Buffalo, and potentially Cleveland as the nucleus of really like highly – competitive teams in the AFC over the next uh, few seasons. Yeah, because we don't know what's going to come out of the AFC South because let's say just for sake of argument, <sighs> once after this injury and maybe after oh. this year, he, you know, he still leads them to a good record. I, he gets another year and let's say he starts balling out and he doesn't get injured ever again. I let's don't know. Say, do or you like, think, you know, doesn't get like heavily injured ever again. I don't know. Do you think he'll he, ever he, play? Yeah, that could be one. Colts? That could be, you know, the next thing for Indianapolis. Who I knows? Don't know. I, I think I, that... that's a stretch, but I'm just saying for the sake of argument, sure. Texans, I don't know. Who, who, you who, tell me. Who really know, like, uh, it'll be interesting to see what the heck happens with Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence. Oh, yeah. That's the wild card then, the AFC uh, to me. What's the other team that I'm forgetting about at this very second? Tennessee? Yeah, Tennessee. Tennessee is not going to be the nucleus long Well, term. I mean, they could still compete. I just don't I mean, they'll, last yeah, year. Yeah, they'll be able to compete. Last year really Don't forget, Ryan Tannehill is a much older quarterback than what a lot of these teams have right now. Sure. And, you know, while quarterbacks do tend to, you know, last longer, obviously, Derrick Henry is not going to be Derrick Henry forever. And Neither is Julio Jones, but they got, but they got wep- that weapon now from Atlanta. Yeah. I mean, they'll have to eventually identify a quarterback of the future, probably before Tannehill is anywhere close to age 35, 36. I and guess. Make sure that – because if we've seen more and more of that, if you can identify a quarterback who has the skills and maybe you could, you could fit your offense around him like they've been able to fit it around Tannehill, you could probably succeed going forward in Tennessee, but you'd have to find the right quarterback. Yeah. And I'm saying this is not like a – you know, 2022 draft. No, maybe 23 or 24 draft where you're targeting a Could quarterback. Be. Not not necessarily the first round, but definitely like earlier rounds, like second or third round. Maybe they'll take a uh, uh, Quinn Ewers, quarterback out of Ohio State, when he's all yes. uh, done and done. Oh gosh, I, I'm looking too far ahead, and that's another thing. I, we'll touch on it quick because we're almost out of time, uh, at least here. Uh, Quinn Ewers, obviously, uh, jumping from high school to college a year early to join Ohio State. Uh, uh, great mullet. Seems like he's got a lot of capabilities. Um, probably won't get a lot of play, especially the first half of the season, upcoming season. Um, I was going to ask you: Do you think this sets a precedent for more college athlete or more high school athletes, especially those who know they have the ability to make the next it to the next level? Do you think they'll just be like, "All right, I'm screw senior year. I'm just going to go right to college and get it started"? Yes and no. If it's a state like Texas. Where they're not, where they don't really have any uh, laws that would permit you to make money off your name, image, and likeness as a high school athlete. Yeah, you'll see those states losing their top talent. But mm-hmm. let's say, I forget where that basketball player was, uh, that high school basketball player, whatever. Like in those kinds of states where you have, you know, the ability right now to earn money. Like I don't think you're going to see as many of those players jump ship. You'll see some. But it's going to depend on what states allow their high schoolers to still earn some cash. Yeah. I mean, Texas, though, like that is the biggest blow they could have had because they love their football down there. And they like literally they've had whole stadiums built like huge, like I'm talking ginormous, like pro style stadiums for their high school football teams. That's how big that sport is down there at that level. So losing a guy like Quinn Ewers without him playing a senior season to college because he knows he can make money 
with his name, image, and likeness versus if he was a high school student and just went through the motions and maybe enrolled in January or whatever instead of enrolling right now because I think he just had to take that one English class to fulfill his requirements to graduate. That is a huge loss for Texas's you know, high school program. And it really you know, gets other people paying attention because if someone gets a minor injury, let's say, uh, I, don't, I don't know who the top wide receiver prospect Ohio State has on the board, but let's say that uh, they get slightly injured and it's, let's say it's a mild ankle sprain. They're not going to return to play. They're going to sit out and they're going to maybe decide, hey, maybe I try to make that jump a little early too and try to make their money. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm looking up uh, Ohio Governor. I mean, yeah, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine. I had to remind myself, signs NIL Executive Order for College Athletics. This is back in June 28th. So now Ohio uh, athletes can can take advantage of that, um, the name, image, and likeness thing. And it makes me wonder, makes me wonder uh, if how the high school game is going to be affected by a lot of really good players just deciding, no, I'm going to be able to take my talents to another uh, setting a better setting obviously yeah and, and it's just going to be really for the most part it's going to be basketball for women's and men's and football those are the three sports that are you want to see most of that talent flooding out and i understand it's high school level compared to college and and the professional level especially it's peanuts but i don't know it makes me wonder so. It does, and it's going to be the question that we're going to be looking on, back on in five or ten years, yep. whenever all of this stuff probably gets legislated and you know under a more streamlined real quick. condition versus wild wild west that we're in right yeah. now real, to see real know, quick what uh, was the legacy. Real quick, yep. uh, do you think that I heard some people when when this whole NIL, NIL thing passed that uh, for student athletes they could maybe they should maybe consider them, and I don't I don't think they're going to do this, but they they should maybe make them consider either taking mandatory finance courses or forcing them to reserve a portion of their earnings into like some sort of trust or some sort of a, a back a backlog, that thing that I they can have. I think that's a smart move. It's a, think, it's a smart move for a player to make, but I just don't think they'd be able to make it mandatory. Uh, it's tough to say if it could be made mandatory, but they could try to, I don't know, maybe, I don't know if they could try and incentivize being like, hey, they couldn't incentivize that like you know maybe maybe in the pitch like hey you don't have to take this but we want to make sure that you know well like let's say uh ryan day's pitching to you like hey we know you're a great athlete we know we want you here we want you to be successful and even if you don't end up working out in the pros which we want you to get there we will get you there if you put in the work and you work with us we work with you but if that doesn't end up working out some way somehow if you get injured we want to make sure that you have the ability to know how to financially earn and manage your money and also save some of it. So that way we're not going to like have you put 80% of your money away, but definitely give you some, you know, a fund or a trust to be able to be like, Hey, I've got this money put away here in case anything ever happens to me. And then you can make sure that you can finish your degree. And because the, and I also, I'll add this in, Cause my dad has always said, you know, he would support me and same with my mom with athletics. But the thing that always came first was academics, because as long as you have your brain and you have a degree, you're better off knowing that, you know, you have something to fall back on. If you're just an athlete, you don't ever get that degree and your talent is not enough and you flame out, then you're not as well off as you might be. So having a trust fund, or uh, just to be able to have after college for some of your money to go into and, uh, you know, and then be available later on and then having some financial courses to be like, here's how we can help you uh, understand how to better manage money, taxes, uh, deals, stuff like that. That, that was, that would be a really good idea and a smart idea for schools to be like, this is something we will offer you. And we want to make sure that no matter you're a student athlete or you eventually have to become a student one way or another, we will help you. And that is all we have for episode six of the weekenders podcast. Uh, just a quick reminder before we leave that you, we, we distribute our podcast on anchor that is anchor.fm on the website. You can not only listen there, but you can listen to most places where you listen to podcasts such as Spotify, Google podcasts, 
uh, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, anywhere else. Uh, be sure to listen everywhere and anywhere. You can follow me on Twitter at Mitch Spinell and all of my social medias at Fits on Sports BSR. So we want to thank you once again for listening. Sean, anything before we wrap up? Uh, go where Rita, where things stand, uh, 2021 part two for the NLB edition. It's on my medium page. Uh, you can find it there. Uh, I'll send you the link, Mitch, if you want to put that in the description for the YouTube video and yeah, go give that a read. It's a humor snark analysis. I try to have a little bit of fun with that. Let's just put it that way. Thanks for listening to episode six, the weekenders podcast.